Uh, So we are coming to our final message in our First Timothy series. Uh, Over the past 12 weeks, we have been reflecting on what it means to build a healthy church. What are the characteristics of a healthy church? And over the past three months, we have looked at things such as healthy discipleship and healthy teaching and doctrine. And what does healthy relationships and relational presence look like? What does a healthy leadership culture look like? What does it look like to use our resources and to walk in contentment in a healthy way? And today, we are going to focus on a particular dynamic when it comes to building a healthy church. Because as 1 Timothy lets us know, and as personal experience also tells us, walking in spiritual health, building a healthy church is not easy. There are particular challenges that go on when we engage building a healthy church. I mean, look, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. I'm a mess, you're a mess. I have suffering, I have pain, you have suffering, you have pain. We get together in relationship and we kind of make a mess together, amen? Let's be honest about that. There's, there's a challenge to building a healthy church. And, and statistically, if you look at what's happening in our culture, this challenge plays itself out. I mean, the, there's different estimates, but most of the statistics say roughly 3 million people a year are just completely leaving Christianity. They're done with it. They're walking away. They're, they're saying, I don't identify as a Christian anymore. And with that, there are roughly 4,000 to 7,000 churches that close a year. And so there, there are real challenges that are felt in the demographics of our culture. So how do we remain healthy? How, how do we keep from being a statistic? Like, I, I don't want to be alarmist, but nobody ever wakes up and goes, I'm going to be a statistic. So how do we maintain health? How do we walk in such a way that First City Church is a healthy church, that we are healthy in our walk with Jesus? Because look, until Christ returns, it's going to be messy. It's going to be challenging. We aren't going to do this perfectly. We've already made mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall into patterns of unhealth that we're going to have to repent of. But Scripture holds out the promise for us, church, that we can walk in a healthy, vital, life-giving relationship with Jesus. We can be a healthy church by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of the things that God's word has been calling us to in 1 Timothy, we can walk in these things, church. But we need to reflect, how do we do that? How do we put these things into practice? And that's the focus of our passage this morning. This is, the Apostle Paul is coming to the end of his letter to Timothy And he's making one last appeal, one last sort of urge to Timothy to maintain a personal spiritual health and to keep the church that he is leading a place of spiritual health. He tells Timothy in verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a call to endurance. Timothy, walk in a way until Christ returns. Walk in a way that glorifies God that keeps the the testimony of the gospel free from reproach and unstained. Persist, endure, stay healthy, grow, and as you lead the church, see to it that this church persists and endures and stay healthy as well. So here's our main point for us this morning. A healthy church maintains its health by cultivating a faith that endures. And there are three principles that we're going to unpack from this passage to reflect upon what it means to maintain our spiritual health and cultivate a faith that endures. First is what we run from. Second is what we run toward. 
And third, who we look to. So let's first look at what this passage says about what we run from. Verse 11, Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. So there are things that we are to flee. And flee is not just kind of casually walk away from. It is run with all you, you are away from. So, so most of you know, I've made this comment before, I, I don't like to run. Like run for fun is an oxymoron. Sorry, JT. Um, but I, I really don't get it how you guys, you know, you marathon runners. But I have been known to flee when I need to. I have been known to just sprint and take off when I need to. So when I was in college, and I'm probably going to regret sharing this story, so parents, I'm sorry ahead of time. But when I was in college, my friends and I, this is one thing we like to do for fun. We would sneak out of our dorm at night. I went to a Christian college. We had, we had a curfew. Some of you know what that is. But we had a curfew, and so we would sneak out at night, and we'd go to the local grocery store, and we'd buy like biscuit dough like in those cans. And, and we would go, there was this road that kind of had this bridge that kind of went underneath, there's an underpass, and, and you could stand on the side. And when cars would go by, we would throw dough at cars. Look, made a big booming sound, didn't hurt a thing. Again, sorry, parents, kids, don't do it. Mm-mm. And so we would do this for fun. Sometimes we'd get on a, a building and throw it down on, on cars, and, and it was, oh, man, we loved it. We're college kids, stupid. Well, one time, we hit this big, like, Dodge Dooley diesel truck, and he just hit his brakes, spun around, and came after us. And I ran as fast as I could. I mean, I ran so fast, like, I lost sight of my friends. Like, there was just no one. It was just, like, darkness in the middle of a neighborhood. I had no idea where I was. I can flee. I can run. When there's danger, I get on my horse and I go. That's the picture here that Paul gives to Timothy. There are certain things you just don't mess around with. You run from these things. Dead sprint. And what are these things? Well, right before this passage in verses 3 through 10, Paul mentions a number of problematic sins. He talks about conceit or pride, envy, slander, dissension, unhealthy craving for controversy, lack of contentment and greed, unhealthy, harmful desires that ruin self and others. So this list isn't comprehensive. This isn't the only things that we are to run from, but it does give us a clear snapshot of the challenge to spiritual health and endurance. Gives us a challenge that we all are going to face to maintaining walking in spiritual health with Jesus. Because here is the the heart of the issue. When it comes to spiritual health and spiritual endurance, the question is, who has our heart? Like, who has our heart? Does the glory of Christ, the goodness of Christ, the truth of Christ, the beauty of Christ have our heart or something else? Are we compelled to love and serve and disciple one another, or are our relationships defined by something else? So it comes down to these matters, and these things that Paul lists are things that do damage to our faith. They're things that pull our eyes and our hearts and our minds away from Christ, pull our hearts and our eyes and our minds away from loving and serving and discipling one another, and they wreck our faith. That's why Paul says, flee from them, because they do damage to us. So I want to highlight just two examples here to kind of illustrate how this dynamic plays out. And there are two things that we've already talked about in our series in 1 Timothy, but I want to re-emphasize them because they're particularly stubborn and pernicious in our life. And I think they speak to some of the challenges that we face in our culture. So last week, Pastor Paul mentioned materialism. 
and greed and being discontent and, and a lack of contentment and how this damages our souls, how it will wreck our relationships with other people. But this is the culture, this is the air we breathe. In the United States, materialism is the thing. Like the American dream, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Get the house, get the car, get the wealth, get the electronic device, go on vacation, celebrate, comfort. Like those messages are bombarded to us day in and day out. And look, as as Pastor Paul said last week, these things aren't inherently sinful. There's nothing wrong with having a house. There's nothing wrong with having a car. Go on vacation, rest. These things are good. But do we ever stop and ask ourselves how the pursuit of those things are affecting our faith? Is the pursuit of those things damaging our faith? Listen to what Robert Sarah writes in his book, The Power of Silence, concerning the effect materialism can have on our souls. He writes, Modern life does not allow us to look calmly at things. Our eyelids remain open incessantly. And our eyes are forced to look at a sort of ongoing spectacle. The dictatorship of the image, which plunges our attention into a perpetual whirlpool, detests silence. Man feels obliged to seek ever new realities that give him an appetite to own things. But his eyes are red, haggard, and sick. The artificial spectacles and the screens glowing uninterruptedly try to bewitch the mind and the soul. In the brightly lit prisms of the modern world, man is separated from himself and from God. He is riveted to ephemeral things, farther and farther away from what is essential. Like, look, church, blessings abound in our culture, and we don't necessarily have to be guilty about that. This isn't about feeling guilty about the stuff we have. But ask ourselves the question, to what effect? To what effect does our pursuit of these things have on our faith? Is your pursuit deepening your relationship with Jesus? Are you becoming a more deep, thoughtful, godly person who has joy and comfort and contentment in Christ? Or is your pursuit of material things leading you to something else? Do we take time to reflect on how these things are impacting us? Is the pattern and trajectory of our life heading towards long-term spiritual health and endurance in our faith? Or are we going some other direction? So we can enjoy blessings. Let's enjoy blessings. But our affluence should always sit a little bit uncomfortable on our shoulders because we recognize our temptations. We recognize our weaknesses. We recognize that we're prone to pursue comfort and joy and satisfaction in other things. And when we look for comfort and joy and peace and hope, in our possessions, in our house, in our bank account, in our relationship status, and the, the amount of things that we have, this will always, always wreck our faith. It will always erode joy in Christ. It will always erode faith in Christ. It will always erode hope and peace and comfort in Christ. Because we'll go to other things rather than Jesus. And as Jesus said, you can't serve God in money. You will love one and hate the other. And so the more we look to these things, the more our faith, the more our spiritual health is damaged. That's why Paul says, flee these things. Run from these things. Don't let them have a foothold in your life. Because abiding, joyful faith in Christ cannot exist when our hearts are gripped by materialism. 
And here's the other side of it, as Robert Sarah pointed out. Like the promise of materialism never satisfies, never lasts. And, and I wonder, do you ever feel the effect of it? Do you ever feel, the, like, like he described, eyes red and haggard, empty, worn out? Do you ever feel spiritually how you can feel physically when you eat too much junk food? Just gross and, and, and a little bit weak and realize, man, this isn't satisfying. This is no way to, to feed my physical body. Do you ever feel that spiritually? Oh, those things are out to wreck your faith. And in that moment, we have a choice to make. Are we going to flee? Are we going to do what God's word says, flee from the things that are damaging our faith? Or are we going to stay and remain and put ourselves on a trajectory that at worst, we walk away from the Christian faith, at best, we live shallow and superficial? Now, I'm not saying we all have to take a vow of poverty and go live in a shack. But we need to reorient and consider how we're living our lives. What are we giving our lives to? What are we pursuing? How many of us spend time caring about our physical bodies, what we put in our bodies? We, we recognize that certain foods have certain effects on our body. Some of you, this is an allergy thing. Like you can't eat certain things because you either will feel really badly or maybe even get sick or maybe even dangerous. Some of you, your kids have allergies that, are, that if they eat certain things, it's dangerous. But we can be so careful to flee that. So careful to flee things that are dangerous to us physically. Why do we not do this spiritually? Why do we not recognize, hey, this has a bad effect on my faith. When I engage in this behavior, my love for Jesus, my joy in Jesus, my comfort in Jesus, my peace and my hope in Jesus are damaged. Oh, flee these things, church. Flee the things that will do damage to your faith. And so where is this true for you? In what ways has the pursuit of comforts or pleasure or peace or status or possessions robbed you from a rich, deep, life-giving, joyful faith? Where are these things robbing you from intimacy with Christ, comfort in Christ? In what ways are your pursuits damaging your spiritual health and putting your endurance in danger? What ways are these things making you shallow and superficial? And really, what effect is this also having on the church? Because as John Dunn told us, no man is an island. And don't for a minute think that your spiritual unhealth is only about you. It only affects you. It affects the entire church. We're not an island. We're a community. We're a family. And so when, when I'm unhealthy, it affects you. When you're unhealthy, it affects me. And so let us flee these things. Here's another quick just example that I want to touch on. So this passage, another thing that it mentions, and this is in verse 20. Like it might not be materialism for you. The danger to your faith and, your, and, and a deep spiritual health might not be materialism. It might be pseudo-spiritual ideas. So in verse 20, this is what Paul tells Timothy. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So here's what Paul is not saying. He's not saying, hey, Timothy, just don't have any knowledge, don't know anything about what other people believe. I mean, the Apostle Paul understood what other religious faiths believed. He engaged them well. So he's not saying, I can't have knowledge of what other people believe and what other faiths believe. And I, I, it's good for us to know those things. It's good for us to engage these things. What he's talking about 
is those ideas that pass themselves off as gospel. Things that pass themselves off as supposedly going to lead you into a deeper relationship with Christ. But in the end, they don't lead you to deeper hope and deeper peace and deeper comfort. It doesn't lead you into greater godliness. Rather, it has the opposite effect. And so Paul calls them irreverent babble. This is literally godless drivel. Worthless ideas that have nothing to do with the one true God. Worthless ideas that do nothing to help us in our walk with Jesus. So those of you who are history buffs, maybe this is something you, you know, but like during World War I, World War II, and, and, and really anytime there's a war, oftentimes there's a black market for particular goods. Like during war, they have to ration certain food, and some things are a luxury, and this black market arises, and people will sell certain foods and certain goods as a luxury to, to people who have the money. Well, a lot of these black market uh, sellers would often sell counterfeit food. And, and one way they would do this, so like with flour, in order to like bake bread or bake a cake, they would often stuff just a little bit of flour in with a whole package of plaster. And, and plaster looks like flour, has the same consistency as flour, but if you try to bake a cake with plaster, it's not going to taste good. You're going to try to bake bread with, with plaster, it's not going to taste good. In fact, it could damage your health. And it's the same thing with these pseudo-spiritual ideas. Man, on the outside, they may look like it is gospel truth. On the outside, it may look like it's leading you to greater godliness, but the effect is damaging to your faith. And here's the example I want to use. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. But there is this this idea that is very prevalent in our culture related to this idea of authenticity. And authenticity is a good thing, so stay with me here. But here's how it is portrayed in our culture. Man, I just want to be upfront about my story and about my junk, and that is my righteousness. As long as I'm upfront, as long as I'm open with this, my story, that's sort of me, my story, you can't speak against it because it's my truth, my reality, and my openness makes me righteous in front of people. This, this gives me status because I'm not hiding. I'm not being fake. I'm being open. Here's the problem with that. That never leads to repentance. Like biblical authenticity is a conjoined twin with confession and repentance because that worldly kind of authenticity never takes you to Christ. It stops short of Jesus. It never takes you into putting your hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you never leads you to repenting of sins, letting go of those sins that keep you from a rich relationship with Jesus. The authenticity that the Bible speaks of, the true authenticity, the real flour that will bake a cake that tastes good is the one that leads you to repentance and faith in Christ and freedom in Jesus. And so we need to avoid pseudo-spiritual ideas. We need to avoid things that are gonna sound like Christianity, sound like it's gonna build us up in godliness, but in truth, it won't. So avoid irreverent babble, church. So you may be like me. Maybe there's a few of you others that don't like to run. But let's be runners. Spiritually speaking, let's be runners. Let's be those who know what to flee from. We flee from those things that damage our faith. And so let's cultivate a healthy running culture in our church. And this leads me to the second point, what we run toward. It's not just that we run away from things. We also run towards something. The Christian life isn't just lived in this state of a reactionary fear. And I'm afraid that that's how a lot of Christians can sort of treat the world and treat sin. I gotta be fearful and I'm gonna be reactionary and so all I do is run away from stuff. 
No, Paul says here, you're running towards something else. So this, this word pursue, so he says to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue is another running word. To pursue is to run after, chase down, and not half-heartedly. I mean, when you are in pursuit of something or someone, you're giving full effort. So remember when I was a freshman in high school playing football, I was a safety on defense, and this receiver got behind me, and he caught a pass. And I'm, like, going after him because I know if I don't catch him, my coach is going to chew me a new one. And so that fear was driving me to run as fast as I could after this guy, just enough to push him out of bounds. So, I mean, you can ask Jordan Spencer, probably has better stories of pursuing dudes than I do. So ask him what it means to pursue someone. But if you've ever been running after something, pursuing something, you know it's a full-bodied effort. And so we pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. These things are a full picture of the Christian life. Paul is calling us, God's word is calling us to pursue all that it means to follow Jesus. So righteousness and godliness. This is godly character. Pursue Christ-like character. Imitate Christ. Now, it's important for us to recognize and remind ourselves we aren't made righteous by our good deeds. This isn't Paul saying, make yourself righteous. We are made righteous by Christ alone. Our good deeds cannot make us righteous. It is the righteousness of Christ that we receive by faith. But in that, we're given the Holy Spirit. In that, we are given a righteousness or a power to walk in righteousness. So as as Philippians says, the Holy Spirit works in us. God works in us to give us a desire and a power to walk in righteousness. So the Christian life isn't passive. We don't just sort of sit back and do nothing. No, we pursue righteousness because God has enabled us to do it. And so we chase after it. We long for it. We live it. You see, sin erodes health. It damages confidence. It damages your joy in Christ. It damages your hope in Christ. But righteousness, walking in righteousness, that strengthens your faith. That strengthens your joy in Christ. That strengthens the hope and comfort you have in Christ. And so that's why Paul says, pursue these things. Because when you chase after that, when you walk in that power that God has put in you, oh, it has this wonderful effect in your life. It builds you up in Christ. And I wonder how many of you, you're just sick of your sin. How, how many of you just, you're like, I'm tired of sin. Like, like I'm tired of, of being, it feels like I, I just have this weight of my sin on me. I, I'm tired of being at the mercy of my anger or my greed or my lust or my envy. I, I'm tired of, of being pushed around by my, un, my unhealthy desires. Pursue righteousness. Do you, do you know that Christ has set you free to pursue righteousness? Run after it, chase it. Let, let that be the thing that defines your life. Let the power of God that is in you come out. Let's not be prisoners who sit in our cell with the door wide open, just sitting there as if we're still slaves. Like run out into your freedom, pursue righteousness. That is what Paul is calling us here. Also calling us to faith and love. This is faith in God. Trust in the Lord. Pursue deeper faith. This isn't just some intellectual concept. It's not just, hey, know more about the Lord here. This is a lived-in reality. So let me illustrate it this way. So I own a car. And, and here's what I could do. Here's some, here's some ways that I could sort of react to my car. 
I can look at my car and I can see other people driving a car and I can go, yeah, intellectually, I recognize cars work. But I'm going to walk everywhere I go. If I can't walk there, I'm not going there. And so I can acknowledge something intellectually, but I don't actually live in that reality and it limits my experience. Or I can do this. I can get in my car and I said, well, I'll just drive anywhere in the, the city limits of Bellevue. That's all the further I'm going. And so when someone tells me about, hey, you know you can drive your car to the mountains or the ocean? And I'm like, no, can't walk there, not go in there, can't drive there, I'm not, it's too far. What am I doing? I'm limiting my experience. I'm not living in the good of that reality. My faith isn't taking me into something deeper and greater. And this is what God's word is calling us to. Is your faith growing? Are you pursuing a deeper and richer faith in Christ? So think of it this way. In how you spend your money, are you pursuing faith in that? In how you parent your kids, are you pursuing faith in Christ in that? In how you do your job, are you pursuing faith? In how you engage your neighbors, are you pursuing richer and deeper faith so that you can experience more of Christ? Because church, when we pull back, when, when, when we limit our faith, when we don't actually live in the full goodness and pursue the faith that God's called us to, then our experience of God is limited. And so here's Paul calling us to a deeper and richer faith, something that builds our experience in Christ, builds our comfort, builds our hope, builds our joy. And so when we have the decision before us, act in faith, experience more of Christ, or pull back, oh, pursue faith. Pursue faith. Pursue faith in how you live. Pursue faith in worship. Pursue faith in God's word. Just wash your mind in the promises of the gospel. Pursue faith in prayer and let that faith lead you to love. So love here is more focused on other people because it contrasts the envy and the slander and the dissension and the controversy and the friction that Paul mentions in chapter 6, verse 5. And your attitude and your posture towards other people absolutely affects your spiritual health because it reflects where your faith is put. Think of it this way. Like for me to love someone requires I get messy with them. It's hard. And if my faith is grounded in Christ, I can do that. I can love people even when it gets messy, even when it gets hard, because my faith is ultimately in Christ. When I step away from love and I step into bitterness or envy or slander or frustration and I withdraw with people, what am I doing? I'm saying I'm not putting my faith in Christ. And what am I doing? I'm eroding my faith. I'm damaging my spiritual health. So when I'm called to love people, that pushes me back into have to trusting the Lord, have faith in the Lord, and my faith is growing. And so we pursue love as Christians because that strengthens our faith in Jesus. And it also calls us to steadfastness and gentleness. This speaks to how we engage the world. Steadfastness is patient endurance. It's staying the course. It's not deviating when trial and temptation come. And here, the Apostle Paul has an eye toward how the culture is going to treat us, mock us, ridicule us, oppose us. And he's calling us, hey, be steadfast. Stay the course. Don't deviate. Don't pull back. Don't withdraw. You, you, you stand when you're opposed. You make the decision that, nope, I'm, I'm not going to back off. But do this with gentleness. When, when you're opposed, when people come at you, when people mock you, do it with gentleness. Do it with love. Don't get angry. Don't retaliate. Be gentle. And so church, when the world comes at us, mocking 
and saying that our view of sexuality is dangerous, are we going to retreat or are we going to be steadfast with gentleness? When the pressures and the temptations of worldly comfort and materialism come crashing in, are we going to, be, are we going to retreat and give in or are we going to be steadfast and gentle? God's word calls us to pursue steadfastness, stay the course, and do it with gentleness when you respond to other people. And in our pursuit, verse 12 reminds us, it's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. This call is to proactively fight. Again, this doesn't mean we're quarrelsome. This doesn't mean that we, we go around angry at everybody. It means that we recognize this stuff is hard. There's opposition both outside and in. You recognize, church, that the Christian life is not some cush, comfortable, like little middle class, nice existence. That it is a fight. It is a challenge. God calls us to engage both the sin within and the world without. And that's hard. And you're going to fall down. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get opposed. It's going to get messy. And that's where we fight. That's where we say, I don't care how many times I fall down. I don't care how many times I make a mistake. I don't care how many people come against me. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to keep pursuing righteousness, keep pursuing faith, keep pursuing love, keep pursuing steadfastness and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, church. Yes, in taking our hits, we're going to be tempted to back up. But endurance doesn't happen by running and hiding. The picture isn't flee and hide. It's flee this thing, run this way. Endurance happens as we proactively run. And so let's proactively run. And then as verse 12 also reminds us, in all of this, we're taking hold of something. We're taking hold of eternal life. Verse 12 says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Like those of you in Christ, God has called you to life, eternal life. And here's the beautiful promise of the gospel. It isn't, hey, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love in order to earn eternal life. It's God saying, hey, I've given you eternal life. I've transformed you. I've set you free. I've forgiven you. I've cleansed you. I am making you new and I have called you on mission to be with me as I make all things new. So run, pursue, go after those things because I am at work. And so we take hold of eternal life because of the promise. We pursue righteousness, we pursue love, we pursue faith, we pursue steadfastness because these things are life. And so church, endurance, spiritual health, it's about taking hold of life. So often, Christians are defined by what they're against. Paul is saying, let's be defined by what we're for, what we've taken hold of, what we celebrate. Let's take hold of life that we may walk in spiritual health and endure. And this leads us to, in conclusion, who we look to. In verse 13 through 16, Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and to Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, 
who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. So Paul grounds this charge to Timothy. God's word grounds this charge to you and me in a picture of who God is. And so he holds up, hey, Timothy, this is who God is. Hey, First City Church, this is who our God is. The God who gives all things life, who has immortality in himself, who dwells in unapproachable light. He's so good, so beautiful, so holy that we can't look upon him who is the king of kings and lord of lords, meaning he is the authority over all authority. So Paul is painting this picture of a God who has all beauty, all goodness, all glory, all power. And he reminds Timothy, hey, you live in the presence of this God. And so let me ask you, how big is your God? How big is your God? Is your God big enough to bring you to a place of awe and wonder, a place where your heart is filled with glory and humbles you and brings you to your knees? Is your God powerful enough to cause you to endure? Is he powerful enough to make you spiritually healthy, to carry you through whatever trial and sin and suffering you may face? This is a picture of the beauty and power of our God to remind us that our endurance and our health is is no small thing that we're on our own with. But we do this in the presence of a powerful God. And this picture that Paul is drawing for us is meant to humble us. Like for those who persist in sin and rebellion, this God who is all-powerful, who is so holy you can't even look on, he will judge your sin. He will judge your evil. This this picture Paul is painting is to put evil on notice. Hey, look, it's going to come to an end. God will deal with it. But for those who are humble and repent, this glorious God who has all life, this glorious God who has all authority, who is sovereign, this glorious God who has immortality in himself becomes your loving heavenly father who takes all his power, all his glory and turns it for your good. And his love and his goodness carries you. That's the source of your endurance. And so this is meant to humble us But this is also meant to remind us of how great our God is, how powerful our God is, and we look to that God who can sustain us. He also says, he charges him in the presence of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus who came to this earth. And it says, gave a good confession in front of Pontius Pilate. Here's what this means. Paul is alluding to the confession that that Jesus makes before, before Pilate, that he is the Messiah. Jesus stands before the religious leaders and the most powerful government ruling the world and says, I am the true king. I am the true Messiah. And that confession cost him his life. But it was no accident of history. That was Jesus willingly laying down his life so that you and I could be forgiven and cleansed of our sins, so you and I could be empowered to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness. This Jesus' good confession resulted in our salvation. And so Paul is reminding Timothy, he's charging Timothy, hey, in front of your Savior, Savior who has spared no expense for your health and your endurance, look to him. Look to him. That is the source of your endurance. And so church, here is our great hope. Both 
that Christ died for our sins and empowers us now. But also, as this passage says, Jesus is coming back. One day, Jesus will be revealed again, and his glory will be revealed. And for those of us who belong to Christ, here's the wonderful promise for us. That God who has immortality in himself is going to share it with us. We endure, we, we fight, we pursue spiritual health because here's the trajectory our lives are on. Immortality, where we're never going to have to deal with sin anymore. We're not going to have to deal with suffering anymore. We're going to have to deal with sickness anymore. We're going to be healed and restored. And all of this battle that we face now will be done away with. And so we live in the light of Christ's returning. We live in the light of the promise of immortality. We live in the light of the promise of restoration when Jesus comes back. So in the light of all of that, let's flee those things that damage our faith. Let's flee those things that that, that, that have this way of wrecking our joy and wrecking our comfort in Christ. Why do we mess around with them? Those things are going to be done away with. Those things are going to be defeated. Let's pursue those things that are going to last. Let's pursue those things that reflect the glory and goodness of our God. And so church, as we work to build a healthy church, as we work both personally and as a church community, let's look to our God. Let's look to the one who has immortality. Let's look to the one who promises full healing and restoration. And let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue godliness. Let's pursue faith. Let's pursue love. Let's pursue steadfastness so we can cultivate a faith that endures. Amen.